Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everyone. All right, what's up, guys? How you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Feeling good. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dig in. This is our introductory episode. We're kind of going to set out and chart what this podcast is about, what we're going to get into, the format, ideas, why we're doing this, who we are, all that good stuff. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm not getting paid yet. So, well, We're doing this for fun and for the love of cinema. Yeah. Right. That's why we're doing this. Exactly. So let's dig right into that. This kind of all started as a movie club. We've been going, what, two, three years now, Jason? Oh, wow. That long? Yeah, at yeah. least two. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I was living in another state and could not mm-hmm. join for all of them, but now I'm here. And we kind of already do this week to week. We'll take turns picking films, watching them, analyzing them, talking about them, geeking out over them. And we kind of just wanted to formalize that and share it with other people. And hopefully we can bring in other feedback, other ideas from anyone that's listening in that wants to write to us, engage with us. And it's just all about loving film, celebrating movies. That being said, want to put a quick disclaimer there. Um, we're trying to keep this podcast as friendly as possible. So mm-hmm. even when you we disagree on movies, which we do all the time, let's not even get just Dustin and Jason started on The Last Jedi, man. But Ooh. The Last Jedi rules. <laughs> even with those disagreements, we're going to keep this respectful, and we ask that you do the same when you write in and join our conversation. Right. We're all about positivity with movies. Even even bad movies have something good about them that we could talk about and explore. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, too, even then, when we don't like a movie, something I always like to encourage myself to do, and hopefully we can entreat this on others, is really ask yourself why. Because I don't know how much you guys go into this, but I'm in a lot of like film discussion groups, Facebook, here and there, Reddit, and you'll see all these discussions where a film comes up and it's just sort of like, oh, well, that sucked. It's like, yeah. that doesn't really add to the conversation. Use your words, man. Yeah, why why does it suck? suck? Why did you feel that way? Right, and it's okay to disagree. It's great to disagree, but have a discourse about it. Don't just shut down and say, you're wrong, I'm right. It's fun to talk about and discuss and debate. Right, and so that's my hope for us, is that we can always kind of push ourselves to, even when it is a bad movie, we find some sort of meaning and some worth to discuss about film to film. Dustin, that's recorded, you even saying that about Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so really top level, our podcast is called Genre Exposure. We're talking about genre cinema mostly, so I'm going to open it up to the two of you. What is genre cinema? What am I talking about when I say a genre film? God, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this now because I've been trying to explain it to my wife for the last year, and she still (laughs) argues with me over what genre film is. Well, to me, broadly speaking, of course, genre means action, adventure, romance, comedy, etc. But typically when people, especially critics say that's a genre movie it's usually meant in a derogatory term uh, as a put down Um, when you talk about uh say like high art and low art it goes back to literature you've got stuff like you know dickens or writers like that where it's like oh this is you know quote-unquote literature exactly and then you have like the pulp magazines or things that are just read them toss them right right to me that is genre cinema um it's usually the stuff people hasn't maybe haven't been exposed to as much Hence, genre exposure. Um, It's usually the cult movies, the psychotronic movies, or even grade A Hollywood movies that have just not gotten the love they're due. Yeah, I think the Academy tends to snob genre films. It's only been in the last like five or six years 
that we've really started to see genre films such as like The Shape of Water. Um, and I would even say Parasite. Mm-hmm. Get Out, too. That was a big one. Yeah, yeah. Th- these films that are, you know, horror films or fantasy films that normally would not get exposure from uh, the Academy to mm-hmm. be even considered. You know, it's only recently that we've started to see genre films even in the mainstream. But you know what genre films are because you watch them. I guarantee you watch them. You know, like as much as we all love Star Wars and disagree on Star Wars, Star Wars is kind of a genre film. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's not high art, but it's good. So Unless you're talking talk about, about The Last it. Jedi, and then, yeah, it is high art. But. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so resident English degree here. So I did a little research on this. I think if you just say genre film, kind of the definition I've come to, and I don't think it's enough, but it's something to go on. It's a film that's been designed to fit within a specific genre, playing to that genre's existing audience. Would you all agree with that? Do you think that sounds... That's pretty concise, yeah. I mean, I know what the movies that target me are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a sweeping drama. Um, it's probably not targeted toward me. It might <laughs> be, but most of the time, like, if you tell me there's blood and guts in it, I'm in. You got me, man. Same. Okay, so let me quiz you two right now, on the spot. All right. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Is it a genre film? Hell yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Harry Potter. Is it a genre film? Yes. Actually had this conversation this morning with my wife, and yes, I would consider it a genre film. Okay. So then let's see where we can push this to. How about Titanic? Is it a genre film? I'm going to go with no. Why not? Because I think the intended audience for that film was not targeted. Mm-hmm. That was a broad, we're going to appeal to the masses. Right. Mainstream. Mainstream, yeah. Yeah, I tried to avoid that word, but thanks for bringing it up, Dustin. There we go. But yeah, I think that Titanic is not in itself a genre film in the way that we're speaking of mm-hmm. them. But do I want to put it in a genre? I could. Mm-hmm. It's a historical drama. That too, but it's also highly regarded as a romance film or True. a disaster film. It's it's a lot of things, because like you said, it's made to appeal to the widest possible audience. Mm-hmm. But if we take a film that maybe is similar, like Poseidon Adventure, that also deals with a shipwreck, not so much targeted towards the widest audience, but more in people who might just enjoy disaster films. Right. And I assume you're speaking of the original Poseidon Adventure, correct? You can decide whichever one you <laughs> want to reference. <laughs> so I think... Really, every film has a genre, but not all films can be a genre film, in a sense. What a conundrum. It's kind of this nebulous gray area where you don't really know the answer, but there is an answer. It's To me, it's sort of like comparing maybe Silence of the Lambs, big budget, big Hollywood Oscar winner, to um, maybe a movie like Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Ooh, love that one. Very similar. They're both about serial killers, mm-hmm. but such a different tone and approach budget uh emphasis in it. yeah henry portrait of a serial killer is not going to be a uh widely sought after um play on cable tv right film it, you know the mpaa gave that an x for tone that was their excuse for giving it an x tone it wasn't nudity it wasn't violence tone i mean i get it because 
I mean, I felt like I needed the shower after watching that. Movie, <laughs> so. Well, we could we could talk about the failings of the MPAA all well, day. That could uh, be a whole episode. That's a different podcast. Uh, <laughs> but since we've now broken down genre and what we view as genre, kind of gives you an idea of what movies we plan to talk about and what types of movies we plan to show and recommend. Right. In our little movie club, we always try to pick a movie that uh, we really love and champion and maybe one that the other guys have not seen. And then we watch it and share our thoughts. And that's what we're going to do here. And also and, new discoveries, right? Yeah, it's sometimes good to we branch do a blind out. watch. Mm-hmm. That's right. And sometimes that's been great and sometimes <laughs> not been so <laughs> great. No, they can't all be winners. <clears throat> no, but all, always good times talking film, discussing film. So let's roll around to each one of us. Obviously, uh, Dustin's introduced us here, um, but kind of to give a little taste of who we might be, um, Dustin, why don't you tell me like one of your earliest film memories that maybe revolves around genre film or just, you know, whatever sparked your love of cinema? For sure. Uh, so really, horror is kind of at the core of everything I love is in cinema and film. You're here. Uh, you know, growing up, it's it's kind of a weird transition for me because as a little kid, I was the super scaredy cat. I was afraid of everything. Afraid of the dark, afraid there was a monster somewhere, get in the car to go somewhere, what if we crash, go to the theme park, what if the roller coaster goes off the rails. Uh, it's probably not a place a little kid should be, but I just my mind would always run with these worries and concerns about things. Yeah, that's called anxiety disorder, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> uh, hmm. But my parents, they always watched a lot of horror films. Um, and, you know, they were responsible parents about things. If it, they thought it was appropriate for me, I could watch it. There was very much the sort of like look away, cover your eyes, uh, that kind of thing no going boobs. on. No boobs. No boobs. You know, here in America, we have this weird thing about sexuality as far as like ratings and how you. Yeah, people getting shot all to hell is fine, but seeing right. the breast, oh no. There's some we have. We've always had a hang up on that, but uh, I can remember being very young, and it's a weird. You know, it's not a film, but it's a weird thing to focus on. The Friday the Thirteenth TV series. <laughs> I can remember being very little and kind of slinking down the hall because I heard this strange music and then just creeping. Well, of course, that's that's not in the TV show. Well, I just you, ruined it. Uh, it, it wasn't even about Jason. Right. Have you never seen it? No, I've not seen it. it Uh-oh. It's wonderfully cheesy. Um, it's about this antique shop that has all these cursed artifacts, and yeah, the owners okay. are tasked with recollecting them all, locking them away so they don't hurt anyone. And the intro has this haunting music, and it's kind of panning through the antique store. You're seeing the different artifacts. Um, it's not a scary show at all, but to a little kid, there was just something like haunting and drawing about it. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to watch it now. It, it's worth a look. Uh, not scary in any means, but very, very fun. And there's a whole whole story you could go into about how that even exists, why there's no Jason, all that stuff. For another episode. Definitely. <laughs> and so here's to get to the point of this... Uh, I'm scared. I would watch horror films, but I hated them. I didn't really enjoy them. And it all kind of changed with this little movie called Child's Play. Sort of a hallmark of the slasher genre, killer doll, killer uh, puppets. That alone is an idea that's chilling, right? That your your toys could harm you, could kill you, could threaten you. And again, we're talking about the original. You right, didn't the, just get over your fear of horror films last year, right? No, 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 no. Okay. No. <laughs> What a weird direction to go in. <laughs> but okay, yeah. So, and I should say, starting out with this, this is a very strange story. So, shout out to my mom. I love her. We've been close all my life. Um, one day, 
I decided to finally watch Child's Play. It was probably rerunning on TV. So, you know, it is censored down. It is cut. It's not the full force of all the weirdness that's going on there. I watched it. I was very scared. The idea of it even just destroyed me. And it gets done. And I kind of just remarked to my mom, and I'm like, oh, wow, that was really scary. And she doesn't say anything. She just kind of <laughs> sits there. And so, you know, being a little kid, I'm like, mom, mom, please, wait, what's going on? Hey. Oh, no. And in a very low voice, she just goes, I'm not your mother. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm Charles Lee Ray. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm no, what, why? And I start to jump up from the couch, and she kind of just pushes me down, puts her hand over my face, <laughs> and she just full out goes into it. Ade, due, dambala, give me the power, I beg you. And I lose my shit and just start screaming at the top of my lungs. You know, full on, you know, hide the soul bit. And somewhere in the middle of that, I just started to laugh uncontrollably. And she started to laugh. And that was really the first time I kind of made this connection in my mind that's like, horror films, they can scare you, but... They can also let you engage with your fears or the stuff that bothers you in sort of a safe, healthy way where you can like wrestle with an idea or a theme or a topic. But at the end of the day, the film's over and you can walk away from it and you yourself are not harmed in any kind of way. Absolutely. And from that point forward, I just kind of really changed in a lot of the way I saw horror films or anything like that. I was able to kind of have an internal dialogue about things. um, And I realized that at their heart, horror films are fun. They're a great vehicle to send a message to someone, but they're also just enjoyable. Yeah, some of the greatest reflections that I've had in the last five to ten years of my life have honestly been spurred by an idea from a horror film. You know, things that I've grappled with and, you know, thoughts that sometimes are too dark that we try to push away but are important that we address. Definitely, definitely. Horror films give us that safety and that comfort space that we can kind of take our own fears and address them, you know, without being completely crazy. Absolutely. That's a great story. Your mom sounds awesome. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. I I do love her and I do appreciate it. She just really wanted me to know there wasn't anything to fear and uh, also kind of made me a horror maniac. So if that was not the intended result, (laughs) sorry. Sorry, mom. Been super cool if she would have like really committed to the role and like worked on her best Brad Dourif impressive impersonation. <laughs> oh, I, just, like, I believed really it in the moment. It. Oh, I, I believed it. I'm sure she sold it. So, Jason, what about you? Oh gosh. Um. Well, I was kind of like you too a little bit, like uh, really afraid of of horror films when I was little. But I think what really started my love for movies in general was, and this will betray my age somewhat. Um, but the first movie I remember seeing in the theater, like from the beginning to the end, a clear, concise memory was uh, Empire Strikes Back. Nice. On the original theatrical ah, run. It explains so much. It doesn't it, though. And, uh, I mean, it was just, I mean, life-changing is not the word to use. It's, it sounds kind of hokey. and But it really did inspire my love for movies and the possibility of, of storytelling and, and everything. And it's just it's hard to imagine what it was like back then because you we had to spend three years arguing on the playground about oh was darth vader really luke's father or was he just lying to him spoiler oh uh, oh i didn't say which one it was oh okay <laughs> the suspense <laughs> and of course we had the toys in and everything and mm-hmm. playing with the toys was just like reenacting the movies it was just it was really special um but there was a other couple of strange things that kind of stick out 
uh, growing up, there was this great show on Nickelodeon called Standby Lights, Camera, Action. Okay. And I have not heard anyone else ever talk about this show. I've never heard of it. I don't so know if, if I know what that is. If there's anyone out there who has ever seen this, write to us, tell us your experiences with it, because it really, really uh, indoctrinated to me the whole idea about what a director is, you know, what a cinematographer is, what special effects do. It was a show hosted by Leonard Nimoy. Oh, wow. And that was already an end for me because I already liked Star Trek when I was a kid. Um, and they would just like go behind the scenes in popular movies. They would do stuff like Ghostbusters, Christine, James Bond movies, Psycho 2, a lot of stuff that aren't really like for kids, but they would still talk about them and go into them and like interview stars and make up effects artists and things like that. And that really got me thinking more about, oh, hey, there are people who make these movies, you know, people who write these. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a real eye opener. And I think what really got me into my love for like cult cinema and the offbeat was a show called The Incredibly Strange Film Show. I also don't know what that is. No, you're old, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you meant to say cool, but, you know. Sure. Well, please illuminate us. Well, it was a British import. It uh, aired on Channel 4 in the late 80s, um, but they did reruns on A&E Network in the early 90s. And it was hosted by Jonathan Ross, uh, and it talked about cult movies, psychotronic movies, off-the-wall stuff. That's where I learned about John Waters, uh, Ray Dennis Steckler, uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis, Jackie Chan, Choi Hark. So many weird, odd movies, and it just piqued my interest, and I sought them out. Because you know, where I lived, you weren't finding these movies anywhere. You know, you had to wait. Uh, and back that was the back in the day of video rentals. There was no streaming. So it was like an ordeal tracking down these mm-hmm. movies and finding them. I'm still working on some of them. So, did you ever do any of the uh, like bootleg tape trading or any of that? Yes, yes, I did. Awesome. Yeah, there was a great uh, company called Video Switcher Miami, which not necessarily bootleg, but definitely gray market, where you would spend too much money to get a tape that was maybe third generation. But, <laughs> yeah, it was worth it. Awesome. All right, Michael, what about you? Mine's probably the most boring, man. Um, like, my mom was never really super strict on what I could and couldn't watch, mm-hmm. um, except for the boobs, you know. Like, right, that's blanket for America. Yeah, but you know that's fine. Um, there's plenty of those now. So, but <laughs> I, when I was young, my mom and I would always go to the theater almost every weekend. We would. Mm-hmm. It didn't really matter what was playing. We'd find something that we hadn't seen. And so we would typically just go. That was our outings. Um, as I kind of got a little bit older, I mean, I obviously grew up on the Disney stuff, you know, watching the VHSs at home. But then, like, as I kind of grew out of the Disney stuff a little bit, I started getting a little more into action films. That was kind of my mm-hmm. thing. So I would sit with my grandfather in his giant recliner and we would watch, you know, whatever action reruns were on USA or something like that. So, you know, action film was kind of my my start of more adult movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then around the time that scream came out, that's probably when I started liking horror Um, watching scream. Now it's not bad. It's a product of its time. Oh, come on. I still love it. The first one's fine. The The opening sequence is great. I don't care who you talk to. If that was a short film, it'd be one of the best ever made. Yeah. That opening sequence is great. (laughs) 
but that was kind of where I started to be like, okay, this is kind of getting my heart rate up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Oh God, who's going (laughs) to die. And, you know, kind of got a little into scary movies there, but I never really explored the back catalog. Mm -hmm. So was Scream pretty much your first real horror movie? I would say that it was. Yeah. That kind of, um, time period there where you had Scream and I know what you did last summer. Um, what a, what a great time too. Yeah, I mean, I love all these films. <laughs> I like them. I think mostly for nostalgia, mm-hmm. but nostalgia is pretty powerful. Um, and so it wasn't until I was honestly like seventeen years old and um, actually started rooming with Jason. Um, Jason and I both worked at a video store together. Um, you told me you were eighteen. Eh, well, you know, sometimes. <laughs> uh, Jason and I worked at a video store together, and then I needed a place to live at the time, so. Uh, Jason started recommending movies to me and started kind of going through the backlog of stuff. And he took it easy on me at first because he chose something that I that he knew wouldn't really scare me because mm-hmm. I was still kind of open about, well, I don't know, man. I kind of <laughs> some of these things are a little scary for me and I'm not sure. So he it sounds like I was grooming you. I'm uncomfortable with this story. <laughs> oh, well, but you groomed me into, um, you know, a lover of horror films. Okay, so that's, that's OK. That's right. You know, Um but you uh, tossed out uh, Army of Darkness. Mm. That was your. That was kind of the first one that you were like, dude. I think you'll really dig this, and this one's safe. It's no better place to start. I mean, it's great, man. Like, that's such a fun film. I mean, I think too, if you if you start there as like a dip into the pool, and then you go backwards and get to the original Evil Dead. At that point, you're fully in the horror pool. At that point, yeah, yeah. And so you know, like Friday nights, if neither of us were working it was usually like we would sit and jason would be like all right dude this is classic let's watch this so you know we started working through the backlog of stuff that i should have seen that i never (laughs) saw and then i just became an absolute horror junkie you know like i couldn't get enough so that's why i'm still here (laughs) that's why i'm still still doing this diving into films and horror films but you know that's kind of my my intro to horror cinema and genre cinema in general nice. awesome so one thing i noticed we all three share is kind of this video store connection yeah uh where i grew up there wasn't a lot going on uh even like a walmart or something you'd have to drive to the next town over to get it something like that mm. but for some reason we had five video stores or more at a time operating each with their own selection each with their own style i worked at one of them king tut video great time great name great name uh, we were the sole one with the porn section, so <laughs> there you go. Jason and I worked at Movie Warehouse, mm-hmm. um, which had an adult section, but it was not porn. It was not. A little classier than mine, then, I guess. Although I did have a copy of Legend of the Overfiend there, so. Excellent, excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, and that, for me, too, that growing up, going, to, going as a teenager, all that stuff, uh, almost every weekend I spent with friends. Uh, super shout-out to my next-door neighbor growing up, Chris. And my friend Daniel, almost every weekend we were renting something, watching it, uh, and you just had that great love of going in, looking at the box art, picking up whatever. You had no clue what you were watching. Uh, One great place, uh, Video Fantastic, they pretty much had the current Vinegar Syndrome catalog, which says a lot if you know the kind of movies they pick up and license. That's pretty impressive. I remember Video Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Good place. Um, But... That's sort of a lost art now because now we've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu. You're not really browsing the shelves anymore. 
in that way. There's a bit of a magic loss to it. Well, and there's a trailer that plays for you, too. Like, mm-hmm. if you try to put on Netflix, like, you're going to be assaulted with the trailer as soon as you even try to read the blurb about what the movie's about. So you don't even get that blind watch anymore. Right, yeah. There's a there's a mystery about you just see some production stills, you have a little bit of text, you have the art, and that's all there is to go on. Yeah, it really is a lost time. The video store rentals were just... It, it really was magical. It's really hard to use any other word than that. And so I came up with this idea of sort of a thought experiment so we could get to know one another, our tastes, what we love. And one of those lost things of a video store is this idea of staff picks. Not every place, but a lot of stores, they would have one shelf where the staff members would kind of pick out a few films to feature from time to time. Right. And really, if if you ever were into that, you kind of got a sense like you knew that person as you watched the films they put up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I kind of challenged all of us to go and think what would be our five films if genre exposure were a video store that we would throw up on the shelf in our name, stamp ourselves to maybe not our five favorite films, but five that are personal to us, somehow important, have some sort of special meaning. God, this was hard. It was much harder than you think it would be. Very, very hard. And even now I kind of look at my notes here and I wonder I wonder if I did justice. I don't know. <laughs> Well, there's literally hundreds of movies we could probably put down. Right. Oh, yeah. And for me, it was tempting to go, like, you know, the cool, unknown route, you know, oh, these hip to show off. movies. Right, exactly. But I, most of my picks are pretty, I mean, for genre cinema, pretty mainstream. But anyway, I digress. Well, Dustin, it was your thought experiment. So what's your first one? Okay, we'll just maybe dive in and go in a circle, each person's first pick, and work down the list. Sure. Sounds good. And we've not conferred on this at all. We might have some overlap. I have a few backups in case that happens. We or we could also, see. if we do have an overlap, it might be fun to talk about different influences that movie you know, sure. represents sure. for us. So um, I'll start with my heart and go super mainstream with this, but it's it's a favorite I always go back to, and that is 1984's Ghostbusters, ah, directed damn, by Ivan dude. Reitman. <sighs> Lightning in a bottle. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing film, and... Kind of another thing about me is I have this huge interest in sort of the paranormal, the supernatural, you know, ghosts, UFOs, all that stuff. And the more I think about it, it really traces back to this film. <laughs> Some the, the the comedy, the mix of, you know, horror and everything, it just really struck me. I definitely, as a little kid, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster when I grew up. I had all the toys. I had the proton pack, the little jumpsuit. Totally had. I think I still do have that, actually. Yeah. Looked like a little goofy kid wanting to run around and catch ghosts. And so... I guess the humor of that and also the heart. There's a lot of heart in that film, I think. There is. There really is. And so that's that's my first pick, Ghostbusters. It's a good pick. Keeping it softball for now. Jason, what Me? do you got? Oh. Okay. Um, oh, boy. My first pick, uh, and this reflects my early exposure to horror growing up because I would sit there and watch uh, horror movies on television. Uh, like TBS always for oh, playing Monster Vision, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, on TNT, Monster Vision. But um, there were a lot of reruns of the old Hammer horror films when I was young, and the old Universal horror films. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole gothic thing. So my first pick was Horror of Dracula. Ah, that was so close to being on mine. Yeah. Stone Cold classic. Yeah, it's just, it's just pure Hammer, it's pure gothic, it's... Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing at their best. Would you say that's your favorite Dracula and Van Helsing? Ooh. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Easily. I ain't going to dispute you. No. <laughs> Who could fight that? 
So I guess it's mine. It um, is. Yep. So with my list, God, there's so many that are like some of my favorite films and influential for me, but um, I tried to keep it more of things that maybe you could go on recommendations from as well mm-hmm. if you hadn't seen it. Um, but I'm going to start my first one off with an action film, and it's 2011's The Raid. Ooh. Technically, The Raid Redemption, I think, if we look right. at its American title. Yeah. Um, but, dude, this movie, when it came out, man, it absolutely blew me away. This was action in a level that I had never seen before. This just, I mean, anything you thought you knew about any cool like Chinese martial arts film, dude, this just blew it out of the water. Yeah, it's, it, it's brutal. It kind of redefined the action movie genre, right? It really did. Everything else is copying it right. now. It's like the template now that everyone plays from. Yeah, and there's, it's still great. It's got a great story. Um, technically, um, the same story as Dread. Um, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure which one came first. Also the same story as hundreds of arcade games. Hey, so. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like Donkey Kong, pretty much. But, well, uh, you know, like Final Fight and stuff. You're running up the tower at right, the Right, Shinobi, you know, any of those. But, man, great action film. If you haven't seen that, do yourself a favor. Ooh, yeah, one to watch. Mm-hmm. All right, so my second one, this is really going to get into another aspect of myself and who I am as a person. And I selected 1979's Galaxy Express 3.9. This is actually an animated Japanese anime film directed by Rintaro. Um, anime is sort of the other category of my life. Anime, my I have a huge obsession with Japan. I have since I was a little kid. And this film in particular is special to me because uh, it aired on the Sci-Fi Channel when I was growing up. They had this sort of Saturday morning anime block. And I oh, yeah. I shifted to it just thinking, okay, you know, more cartoons. This is animated. And... I'm assuming neither of you have probably seen this. Dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I have not. And so it's this it's this very lavish, very well-done sci-fi epic set in the future. This machine empire has kind of taken over. You're allowed to sort of become robotic with them and live forever, but there are, you know, mortals and humans that are still resisting this. And this young boy loses his mom and kind of sets out on a journey across the stars on this railway system that goes planet to planet. Uh, very imaginative. What really struck to me about it was that it has this focus in its story about raising questions of what does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to live your life? Uh, You know, everyone faces death. What does that mean? How does that define a person? And it was sort of the first time I realized that in animation, you could tell a bigger story than just, you know, 15 minutes of slapstick cartoon characters going at one another. And realizing that there was this difference, and I'm like, oh, you know, this is anime. You can do more with animation. And it seems like in Japan they have this focus on that. They can really pull it out of things. I would agree, yeah. Right. And it, it fostered my love of anime, and it's something I've had ever since. Yeah, I think it's interesting that even, even to this day, animated films are looked down upon. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't be regarded as as art or mature or adult. No, I'm not talking about hentai. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Let me let me soapbox about that then, real quick. Okay, sure. So, if you like stuff from England, you like a lot of BB shows, you love Doctor Who, you're an Anglophile. You're well respected, right? If you're obsessed with stuff from Japan, you love Japanese cinema, you love anime. You're not a Japanophile that's well respected. You're a weeb. <laughs> stupid weep oh look hentai tentacle porn that whole thing yeah they just assume that right off the gate right yeah there's something about the hierarchy of nerddom they always want to you know kick stuff a little lower 
but there's a lot of value to be found in some animated features, Galaxy Express 3.9 included. That's a, that one sounds deep. I'll mm-hmm. check that one out. That sounds good. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. That's the direction okay. we went the last time, Jason. <laughs> that was about five minutes ago. Did you forget? Oh, no. <laughs> my Go memory's it, not so good. Number I two. am old, as I've been pointed His out already. His first film that he remembers was Empire Strikes Back. So <laughs> I'm ancient. Um, well, I'm going to go with a comedy Oh, for my second pick. Okay. Um, this reflects my sense of humor pretty well. And when I first saw this movie, um, it was on television. And I did not stop laughing the entire time. And I still broke up laughing about it days later. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> so good. Certainly not a, you know, everyone knows about this movie. If you haven't seen it and you like comedy, watch it. Especially if you're a D&D fan or you're into fantasy and stuff. It's, I can't explain how funny it is. Like, as much as Monty Python has amazing skits other places, this is their pinnacle to me. This is where everything just came together perfectly. I agree. Every joke hits. Some jokes, man, you don't get until the fifth watching. Yeah. (laughs) And And you see it. I mean, God, I could... And endlessly quotable. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean... You're probably even if you haven't seen it, you've heard quotes from it that you didn't realize were were from it. Right, right. And definitely, it's, all three of us are really into Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games. And I don't know that I've ever played a session where a joke that referenced this <laughs> didn't oh, come yeah. up. I think it's actually illegal not to. So. Right. It's in the rule book. It's in the. <laughs> right. It's in one of those new editions that came out. <laughs> so yeah, if, if by some chance you were listening and you haven't seen that, check it out immediately. You will not be disappointed. So since I didn't reference the director on my last movie, I'll go ahead and start with this next one. Um, My second pick is uh, 2006, James Gunn, Slither. Ooh, fun movie. I was trying to think of a film that like really encompassed that my love of like goofy horror Mm -hmm. and but but I wanted smart goofy horror. You know, I wanted something that was not just completely slapstick. And man, there's a ton of slapstick in Slither, Mm -hmm. but some of the jokes are subdued and it man i don't even know how to describe this movie to you if you haven't seen it very you know, goopy is how i would describe goopy, it goopy yeah, yeah goopy is good a lot of practical special effects it's definitely a love letter to the 80s yeah yeah i mean night of the creeps james gunn swears that he didn't copy night of the creeps from that but okay. um yeah sure whatever <laughs> still love the movie i love both of no, them i don't great. care yeah. um nathan fillion is just absolutely Awesome as always. Oh, dude. I mean, I just got lost for words because he's awesome. <laughs> I'm just going to fanboy out over Nathan Fillion here for the next 20 minutes. Um, but no, such a great little film. Um, I remember seeing it in the theater. Just fantastic. Killer. Great pick, yeah. Great pick. So talking about those video store days, uh, the 90s were the height of the direct-to-video boom. Yes. And someone that pulled me through all of the 90s was Full Moon. Great company, (laughs) and so I would be remiss if I didn't put something from them on my list, and so I have to give love to my favorite franchise of theirs, and go with 1990s Puppet Master 2. Ah, nice. Directed by David Allen, who's also sort of the mastermind behind all the puppetry effects throughout the first five films. That are quite impressive. These, a lot of people haven't seen these, they've kind of gone forgotten, I guess. You've maybe heard about them. Uh, they concern a puppet master who's found a secret to give life to his puppets. And sort of across the films, different people come into ownership of them. 
and they are beholden to the will of their master. Sometimes they are terrible killers. Sometimes they are heroically dispatching the Nazis. You really just get whatever film to film. But the second one itself really strikes me as sort of like the heart of uh, how great it could have been if there was more budget behind it and more force there. It has this great sort of universal monster-style gothicness to it. You even got a guy walking around in bandages like he's the Invisible Man and being very mysterious, keeping off to himself. And just, you know, the puppets are great. The stop-motion effects that animates them and gives them life is just gorgeous. I've infinitely been fascinated with them and the franchise. It's one of my obsessions. I think it's just great. And still going. And, it's, and still going. They're... It's on rough days. <laughs> for better or worse. I'll say this for all the hell I give them about the new ones and how they don't live up to what I want. And, you know, stop motion's kind of dead as an art, I guess. And I, I get it. They have a big turnaround. But for all the failings, I do still watch them every year when one pops out. I actually have not seen Puppet Master 2. I saw the first one when it came out. And I just never, for some for whatever reason, because I watched a lot of the Full Moon movies, I never latched on to Puppet Master. Mm-hmm. So maybe I need to go back. And See, the first that. one's kind of weird because there's this whole psychic plot. And that almost is in there more than the puppets. No, oh, right. What Plus is Paul Lamatt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a Barbara Crampton cameo in there. In the original? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. She's, uh, just for a second, she's the patient of the psychologist guy. Oh, nice. Okay. That's reason enough to watch yeah, it. I'll go back and watch it, sure. Yeah, we'll get you back there sometime. <laughs> nice. All right, what's your number three? Uh, my number three, uh, still one of my favorite horror films. Um, It's one of those movies that I felt, you know how sometimes you'll watch a movie and you just feel excited afterward? Last you, Jedi. <laughs> that, that's one of them. <laughs> and you can't wait to tell your friends about it, to show it to people. And I probably showed this movie to more friends growing up than any other, and that is the original Evil Dead by Sam Raimi. Yeah, you showed it to me like right away, as soon as I was okay with Army of Darkness. I think that was maybe the first horror VHS I ever owned. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah, it's it's just so good. Yes, it's low budget. Yes, the acting is questionable. Yes, some of the effects aren't great. But it's so much talent on display in oh, that yeah. movie, and for what they do with the budget is just right incredible. It's, it's, it's a true labor of love, and I mean, even then, you can see Sam Raimi's talents and Bruce's talents. and Bruce Campbell's. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. And so, would you say that's kind of your friend test? If someone can't jive with that. Is it a problem? It is. It really yeah. is. And I think a lot of people, <laughs> I think a lot of people forget how scary the first one actually is, oh. especially if you're a oh, teenager, yeah. you're watching alone at night. You know, it's. It's pretty freaky. It does a lot with um, with sound. You know, mm-hmm. it kind of, I don't want to say assaults you with the sound, but in a way it does. Sure. Um, and that becomes its own character to me. Like, that's one of the things mm-hmm. that always sticks out to me about Evil Dead is the sound design for that. And I'm not oh, yeah. sure how intentional it was, but, you know, a great score and a great, you know, sound effects can really sell a film for you. But that one really adds. Right. And then, like that scene where it's the overhead shot of Bruce and he's walking along and the the camera passes by these rafters and you hear foo, 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 for no good reason. There's yeah. no reason. It mm-hmm. wouldn't make that sound, but it sounds like it should make that sound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything is. Yeah. Everything's intentional there. Yeah. So one of my all time favorites. 
How about you? What is your third choice, Michael? Man, I was torn on which film of this director to do, but I went for the one that I still think about all mm-hmm. the time. Um, so 2006, Guillermo del Toro, Pan's Labyrinth. Classic. I'm glad one of us did del Toro because I couldn't squeeze it on mine. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, del Toro, I'm not going to fawn over... I fawn. See what I did there? I'm not going to fawn over everything del Toro's done mm-hmm. because... Um, in ev- like everybody's catalog, there's some that are weak, you know, or I'm not going to say weak, but weaker, or maybe have less of an impact on sure. me than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, this is going to make me sound like a um, kind of a lazy American, but that's one of the first films that I didn't mind subtitles on. Hmm. You know, like right. 2006, I would have just graduated high school two years before that, so I was pretty young. I get it. You're younger than me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't remember seeing Empire Strikes Back in the theater. Well, I do when the special editions came out, but yeah. um, but like when I saw Pan's Labyrinth and I saw it in the theater, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter. Right. It didn't matter yeah. that it was not in English. It didn't matter that um, I was reading the movie. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. What is it? The director of Parasite said when he he won that award, it was that uh, if you can get past reading the subtitles, there's this wide world of cinema waiting for you out there. Oh yeah, oh, we know truer it, words, and we know spoken. exactly who that was targeted at. Oh yeah, um, that's okay. Um, but yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. I wanted to choose a film that kind of shows my love of fantasy, mm-hmm. and not like uh, Dungeons and Dragons fantasy, but otherworldly fantasy something that feels both rooted in reality but yet so foreign Mm -hmm. but also familiar and i feel like del toro's work with his monsters always feel that way Mm -hmm. they're always horrifying but beautiful Mm -hmm. like every time you see them you connect with one of those monsters in some way yeah um that's kind of like a theme of del toro's films and his life but and they they feel very real too. I've never yeah. I've never watched one of his films where I just kind of connect like, oh, that's a guy in a suit, you know, touched up or anything. And I mean, thankfully, we have Doug Jones mm-hmm. to give those performances because he's so fantastic at it. But Pan's Labyrinth still, the emotion of that film and everything that's tied into the way that story is told is just, I think, an absolutely beautiful picture of a fantasy cinema. Yeah, that's a great choice. I, I really think that's one of the, it's one of the few perfect movies. I think like, I would, there yeah. is nothing wrong with that movie. Everything is done. I need to so go well. back. It's embarrassingly been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, I think that's that's that well, well worth revisiting. It's definitely his masterpiece. But I do have to say that's where we start crossing into what is mainstream and what is genre. Mm-hmm. That was a big movie. It was a big hit. It was, and I mean, um, they got Oscar nominations, right? I think it won something. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to know, Jason. There's absolutely no way <laughs> no to way know. No way to know. There's nothing we could do to find out. But, yeah, that's where we start crossing over. But that is a thousand percent a genre film. That is an art film. That is, you know. Yeah, it ticks a lot of boxes. You're right. It's foreign. It's art. It's fantasy. It's horror, because that's a scary movie, too. It's Yeah, you're right. So, Dustin, what's your next? Okay, well, another aspect of myself, I love these sort of trippy out there movies that really make you think, ones that you can definitely go back to a second time and glean more out of them. And so I have to give some love to David Lynch. Hmm. It was very hard to narrow down, but I had to go with 97's Lost Highway. Okay. All right, why that one out of all the David Lynch movies? So I think if we're just going to talk about his best, Mulholland Drive's kind of just 
kind of just where it falls for a lot of people is like the pinnacle, especially of the ones that are sort of trippy and weird. You mean it's not Blue Velvet? Oh, I, I love Blue Velvet too, but... <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. Uh, just one guy's opinion, but uh, for me, Lost Highway, it's the, the neo-noir aspect. I love noir films anyways, mm-hmm. and that he kind of meshes that in. And, you know, growing up in the 90s, it hits that right mark of, you know, Nine Inch Nails on the soundtrack, all this industrial stuff going on with the music. Um, And still, like, I go back, I watched it just a week or two ago and still had new thoughts, new feelings about it. Um, It's one of those things, I think it's like a perfect mystery box that he lays out there for you to explore and sit with. And there is the very basic interpretation you can get of, you know, a guy killed his wife and he makes up this other life to kind of dream of what he wished it could have been or how it could have been or a different way. But even that, there's so many other ways you could take it and interpret it. And a lot of it, too, is maybe just it's a mirror held up to you and what you pull out of it sort of sort of comes from yourself in a way. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's one I will have to rewatch because I'm ashamed to admit, I probably haven't seen it since it came out. And I've and not I, seen it at all, so oh, wow. that sounds like a future movie club pick. It could be. Definitely. We need to it school you be. on some more Lynch, for oh, sure. Definitely. My only exposure is um, Dune. Mm. <laughs> I control which, the spice. <laughs> I will defend Dune. I like Dune. It has major problems, but I will defend it. It's a fun film for what it is. It is. Cool. Nice nice pick. Give Lynch some love. I'm glad one of us picked his movies. All right, Jason, number four. Uh, okay, you did one of your favorite directors. Mm-hmm. I will do one of my all-time favorite directors, and that is David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, other great David. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, this is 83's Videodrome for me. Cool. Love it so, so much. Yeah. it's To me, it's the penultimate Cronenberg film. I think everything really came together here. And it's still such a... It was The story was prescient. I mean, it still is valid today about how, I mean, one of the quotes from the movie is that in in the future we will all have TV names Mm -hmm. and everyone's on social media and rarely by their real name. And it's just, mm. if you haven't seen Videodrome, check it out. I feel like Cronenberg's always a little ahead of the curve on stuff like that. Like with Videodrome, he called that with existence. He called a lot about the internet and virtual worlds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I always thought Videodrome would be one of those that falls off as we moved away from VHS and, like, televised broadcasts and moved to streaming, but it still holds up. Yeah, I mean, it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Just just replace the television with the internet, and there you go. Michael, you're awfully silent. Have you seen Videodrome? Oh, absolutely. I've okay. seen Videodrome. I could scarred him. I'm it's actually good. just, like, fighting myself to not say see you in Pittsburgh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say it. Like, I'm fighting myself to not do it. <laughs> well, and I'm also having to to rethink too because um, I had an alternate on mm. my list in case for some reason Cronenberg didn't make somebody's list. Oh, really? Uh, um, Existence was one of mine. Oh, yeah. See, I think that one's a little underrated. It's oh, very I underrated. Too. I do too. And I was hoping to give some love to it, but since it's already been mentioned, I don't have to use that one as cool. a pick because I was really torn. So I'm going to give you my next one. All right. Um, newer film. Let me get the year here for you. I think you've gone the newest of all of us. Probably. I mean, 
because when I was sitting there thinking about it and I was kind of looking at my shelf mm-hmm. of the things that I want to pick up every now and like every time I want to go watch something, if I tell you that I want to go watch John Carpenter's The Thing, you're going to be like, well, of course you do. Who doesn't? Right. So I tried to avoid some films like that. Sure. Some of the older classics sure. that I absolutely love and adore that we all love and adore. Um, but this one's 2015. Jeremy Sart. I'm gonna pronounce. I'm gonna butcher his name, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Jeremy Saunier. I think that's right. Okay, and if not, we're very sorry because he's such a great director. God, he is. Um, Green Room. Ooh. Mm. So I chose this one due to I was trying to think of a suspense film. Mm-hmm. This is a horror film, but not in a horror film sense. Oh, it's damn but, scary. But it's very scary. But it's not your traditional horror film no. um, kind of approach. Um. Jason actually recommended this film to me um, because I'd seen Murder Party Mm -hmm. and I really liked Murder Party, but Murder Party was quirky, you know, like it was humorous. It was dark as hell, but but very, very humorous during the process. And you were like, well, you liked Murder Party. Check out this director's next one, uh, Green Room. And I was Jason told me he was like, dude, I don't want to say anything until you've watched it. And I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but. I messaged him afterwards and I was like, just holy shit. Like (laughs) my heart rate hasn't come down yet. Right. Because this film, man. It's so intense. It punches you in the gut from the beginning and you are sitting on the edge of your seat for the entire movie. Like you even said you watched it standing up. Yeah. The last half of the movie, I was literally standing up yelling at my television. And (laughs) I could, I could have easily done that. Yeah. Um, But really I was just kind of, um, cuddled in a little fetal position because that's the response that I took to also it. a valid response um, but this is just a fantastic film I think it's streaming on several services right now um, so really easy to see great performance by Anton Yelton and what a loss yeah, to rest that, in peace yeah. yeah that accident if you only like if your only exposure to Anton Yelton was from Star Trek the new Star Trek movies you're not doing yourself justice right as he was good in those um, but this was a performance yeah. of lightning in a bottle it, it was an indicator of what was to come that we got robbed of and if you mm-hmm. think that patrick stewart is the nicest guy in the world wait till you watch <laughs> this movie man what a, what a transforming performance out of him i just, such a great choice for him to take that role too i mean mm-hmm. patrick stewart is captain picard and you know professor xavier he's the, he's the face of all that is good yeah and world, nurturing kinda. you yeah. know and someone who inspires leadership and i would say that he inspired leadership in this film but <laughs> in a different kind. way um so yeah i grew up as like a punk rocker in high school so a lot about this movie really speaks to me oh yeah it and, really hits close to home and we discussed this before about this film too um that that club is so real oh yeah. it is the most real club i have ever seen portrayed in a movie if you're ever. into heavy metal or punk, punk rock yeah. or mm-hmm. indie music you know and you go to shows and see live music You've been to this club, man. Hopefully with fewer skinheads. Yeah. Yeah. You've been to this club, though. Like, everything feels... You can smell it Yeah, when mm-hmm. you're watching it. Everything just feels so natural and so right. It's great. So absolutely see this movie if you haven't. Love it. Nice choice. Well, we've reached the end. We've got our final picks. I had to save the best for last. So you will, if you listen to this podcast as we go forward, you will come to learn this name. Jason's already laughing. <laughs> Very near and dear to my heart, my favorite director, Shion Sono. You probably know him for Suicide Club, if you know him at all. Great movie. He's a great, uh, very transgressive Japanese film director. 
But I picked for my last shelf selection, 2005's Noriko's Dinner Table. Wow, over love exposure. Yes, that love exposure is his best. You know, it's kind of like the David Lynch thing. I think that one film is for sure their masterpiece, but mm-hmm. Noriko speaks a little to me more personally. Um, it's a hard one to go in on. It's a companion piece to Suicide Club. It kind of takes place before, during, and after. So you really need the context of the other one, and maybe I cheated by putting it on the shelf because you would have to watch Suicide Club to go to go at it a little bit, but... Let you put the little asterisk there next yeah. to the title and say, see suicide. I had to break my own rules, of course. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, so, it's genre cinema. It's about breaking rules. Um, but it's about a young teen girl, Noriko, who's kind of dissatisfied with her life at home. And, uh, you know, in the early 90s, the burgeoning rise of the internet, she sort of finds solace through online communities and realizes that she can sort of meet the people that are into the things that she is into, that she can kind of be another person, be who she really wants to be, that she feels like she can't be at home and eventually it spins into her running away to Tokyo to meet up with these friends and she gets drafted into this crazy world of rental families where people hire themselves okay. out oh, yep <laughs> the confusion is setting okay. in okay <laughs> yes a very crazy concept um but yeah these people that sort of rent themselves out to play the part of family members of other people and it's this very very serious very very morose drama about identity and who you are as a person how you can reinvent yourself, how you can get lost kind of in the narrative of being someone to someone else. And where where are you? Who are you? How can you define who you are? What and are somehow, you defined by? Somehow you think that's relevant to the internet age in some way? I don't see where you're going with that, Dustin. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I think I think that he was a little ahead of the curve on this, but I think he touched on something that's you know very prevalent now. You look at something like a show like, say, Catfish. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, and he was out ahead of it in 2005. So Jason and I were pretty audibly quiet during that segment while Dustin was talking. Um, but also because in you, solemn reverence and you also <laughs> couldn't see because it's obviously podcast. Um, Jason and I were sitting here just shaking our heads noddingly like, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Well, well, I have seen this one. Okay. Yeah. Dustin exposed me to this and it, I can vouch for him. It is a very good movie. It's very striking, very heartfelt, very, very brutal. Not, not so much in the gore, but emotionally, if you could somehow tag a film as being like explicit on emotional violence, I think it's or tone, or tone. as the NPAA might say. Yes, it would get that tone tag. <laughs> I, I mean, not toe tag. That's something else. One of their movies might pop up later, but <laughs> if that was its own genre within genre films, like emotionally brutal, I would have like subscribed to that subset <laughs> for <laughs> uh, so many of them. But I love Sono. I think he's brilliant. He's my favorite director. You will hear about him more. I promise you. <laughs> We're starting a drinking game, a too. A um, and you can add this to it if you'd like to totally get blitzed. Please don't do it while you're driving, but um, you have my permission to do it at work. Um, anytime Dustin mentions um, Sean Sono, uh, you can take a shot. Also, anytime Dustin tells you that he's got the blue of a release, you're also able to take a shot. Now, what's going to be a double is if he's talking about Shion Sono and talking about a Blu-ray release from Shion Sono that he has yeah. the Blu-ray from. You got to do four fingers then. Yep. Yep. You're just going to have to get blitzed right away. I notice all the drinking games revolve around me. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why we drink, Dustin. <laughs> well, uh, it's okay to be wrong, Michael. So. <laughs> well, that's another thing. You have to drink when he says that. And I mean that totally in jest. Of course, it is an oxymoron because anyone can be right or wrong. There are no correct answers. 
when it comes to expressing yourself about movies. Okay, good cover up there. Jason, right. what's All your right, final? Let's roll on. <laughs> um, my last one. Um, again, I had to think about the directors who I love the most and who I find the most influential, and I keep going back to again and again. And I choose the original Suspiria. Oh, that was so close to being on my list, too. Yeah, it's just... Uh, I mean, I think it's Argento at his best, definitely, technically. Story? <laughs> what story? Story doesn't matter. <laughs> There's no point in even trying to talk about the story for it's Suspiria. It's a pure dream. Right, yeah, it's a pure fever dream. I think I disagree with you. I think there's very much a story there. Oh, yeah? I mean, th- there is a story, but, okay, elaborate. I, honestly, and I didn't get this, uh, and this could be part of it. Um, Jason and I were fortunate enough to be able to see Goblin perform the soundtrack live. I hate that, that I missed awesome. that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that I connected, like I've always loved Suspiria, but I don't think I connected with Suspiria in a way as much as I did then. Really? Hmm. And hmm. there was something about the, I mean, Goblin and Argento are intertwined and sure. infused, and Suspiria without Goblin's score isn't Suspiria. Definitely. It is defined by the music. Yes. So when you experience that in person, I think that that movie sucked me into the dream more. Hmm. Hmm. And that I started to feel that dream along with her. You know, and that's what made it more frightening to me. Interesting. So you find that more immersive. Yeah, yeah. I I really, I think I did. Hmm. Well, since we are about genre films, before we roll on to this one, let's settle this. Jason, is it a giallo film? I see that online a lot. I have my thoughts. What are your thoughts? It is not a giallo film. I would agree with you. I think that it uses elements of giallo, definitely, but yes. it's something else. Something it, it more... is supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. I didn't see no gloves. There ain't <laughs> right. no gloved hands. There's no black gloves, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, no, it's not. It's not giallo, but it is amazing and a classic. Absolutely agree. All right, Michael, send us home. So I chose um, probably the one that is one of the most heavily fought over in uh, internet communities, and I think the Last that, Jedi. <laughs> uh, no, that didn't make my list. Um, but I what? think we're all fans here of this one, so you'll kind of know my taste from this one. Um, Twenty fifteen, Robert Eggers, The Witch. Ooh, so good. Mm. All right, so this is definitely going to turn some people off of my taste because there's a lot of people who just didn't like this film. Um, I'm not going to go the route that most um, online critics use when they say, well, they just didn't get it. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's a fair thing to say about somebody who didn't enjoy it. Everything strikes people differently. This is a very different type of film in a very different time. You know, there's not a lot of dialogue in this film. It's a tone piece. It's an absolute, picture of uh, this where and um dustin's the resident english major i'm the resident uh history major um i feel like this is a total just step back in time that really puts you in the tone of what it might have felt like to have that constant paranoia of witchcraft around you for sure for sure that at the time life is shit life is really hard things are dying around you because you're in a new place and you're trying to survive, mm-hmm. um, and your very survival depends on, you know, your livestock, your crops, your community. Mm-hmm. And I think the witch starts off with just, you know, kicking you out of all of those. Mm-hmm. And you need someone to blame. 
you need something to look to to say, well, this is the reason why this is happening. It's not just that life is random and shitty things happen. But, okay, let's start pointing fingers now. You know, this is because of you. This is because of your pact with the devil. And I think people really had trouble with this movie because there were no answers. There's not an answer to this movie. And... Uh, like I recommended this to my mom and she's like, well, well, what about when, uh, you know, she joins the coven and I'm like, did she? Right. And she's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, the rest of the movie felt like a fever dream, didn't it? So why is that real? Why is that real to you? But the rest of it wasn't. You you can do a a very surface level reading of the story, but even then I think it tells a complete, you know, start to finish thing. Yeah, Yeah. There's this over, um, abundant feeling of dread in that film of just oppression um, that is really kind of will bleed into picks that I choose for this club um, that you'll start to see. Dustin has called me like the A24 guy. So if you're familiar with (laughs) A24 as a studio, they tend to put out films, you know, in this vein, typically a slow uh, burn. I think derisively online, we're going to call that, Elevated horror. (laughs) (laughs) You guys heard that? I have. I have. I don't agree with it, (laughs) but I've heard it. So that's my pick for my fifth one. And hopefully um, people who are not a fan of The Witch won't discount me for my future choices. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll I'll compile all these and kind of put them out on our socials uh, wherever I can so people can get at them, look them up, go check them out if they want to. Uh, One final thing to sort of wrap us up, I guess, just to talk about the format of the show uh, typically, each episode will have one movie. That'll be the meat of what we're talking about, digging in our thoughts, our feelings, all that sort of stuff. Um, we're going to take turns rotating who picks what. We're going to try to hopefully get those announced ahead of time. Uh, you can contact us at genreexposure at gmail.com. Write in with any thoughts, any feelings. If you are keeping up and you see the movie upcoming and get to watch it yourself or have seen it, Share with us your thoughts and feelings. Write in. We'll be happy to read them on air. Absolutely. Um, we're still playing with the format a little bit. We might eventually have to maybe switch that to do like mailbag episodes where we do like a little bonus to catch up on who's written in, what they've said, break sure. all those down. Life is busy. Mm-hmm. Even in time of COVID, life is busy. Uh, we will just play with it going forward, but do yeah. write in. Give us your thoughts, your feelings. And recommendations. And recommendations, yeah. If we start getting enough recs, maybe we can make a fictional fourth person that picks and just use the uh, audience recommendations. Nice. Yeah. Always looking for something new. Oh, yeah. So, Dustin, you've already mentioned how they can get in touch with us at genreexposure at gmail.com if you want to go the um, old people way, which you can tell we're old and, you know, rely on email. But Especially if you, me. If you would like to connect with us uh, in more real time via social media, um, Dustin, we do have a Facebook presence. Is that yep. correct? We're going to be on Facebook at Genre Exposure. We're going to be on Twitter at Genre Exposure. And we should be on Instagram as well at Genre Exposure Pod. That's as soon as Dustin figures out how to use Instagram. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some questions there. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so, Dustin, you kicked us off. I'll send us out. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that this is a show that you want to connect with and be a part of a community with. And hope that you will tune in for our future episodes. Even if you don't like the movie, feel free to disagree and let us know. Absolutely. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks.